0: Hello, my name is Nathan Hansen. Welcome to the second episode of the Stories, Tales, Myths, and Legends podcast. In this episode I will be reading the Magic Bond Bons by L. Frank Baum. If that name sounds familiar, listen to the end to find out why. The Magic Bond Bonds. There lived in Boston a wise ancient chemist by the name of Dr. Dawes who dabbled somewhat in magic. There also lived in Boston a young lady by the name Clarabel Suds who was possessed of much money, little wit, and an intense desire to go upon the stage. So Clarabel went to Dr. Dawes and said, I can neither sing nor dance. I cannot recite verse nor play upon the piano. I am no acrobat nor leaper nor high kicker. Yet I wish to go upon the stage. What shall I do? Are you willing to pay for such accomplishments? Asked the wise chemist. Certainly, answered Clarabel, jingling her purse. Then come to me tomorrow at two o'clock, he said. All that night, he practiced what is known as chemical sorcery, so that when Clarabel Suds came the next day at two o'clock, he showed her a small box filled with compounds that closely resembled French bonbons. "'This is a progressive age,' said the old man. "'And I flatter myself your Uncle Dawes "'keeps right along with the progression. "'Now, one of your old-fashioned sorcerers "'would have made you some nasty bitter pills to swallow, "'but I have consulted your taste and convenience. "'Here are some magic bonbons. "'If you eat this one with a lavender color, "'you can dance thereafter as lightly and gracefully "'as if you had been trained for a lifetime. "'After you consume the pink confection, "'you will sing like a nightingale.'" "'Eating the white one will enable you "'to become the finest elocutionist in the land. "'The chocolate piece will charm you "'into playing the piano better than Rubenstein, "'while after eating the lemon-yellow bonbon, "'you can easily kick six feet above your head.'" "'How delightful!' exclaimed Clarabelle, "'who was truly enraptured. "'You certainly are a most clever sorcerer "'as well as a considerate compounder.'" And she held out her hand for the box. "'Ahem.' said the wise one a check please oh yes to be sure how stupid of me to forget it she returned he considerately retained the box in his own hand while she signed a check for a large amount of money after which he allowed her to hold the box herself are you sure you made them strong enough she inquired anxiously it usually takes a great deal to affect me My only fear, replied Dr. Dawes, is that I have made them too strong, for this is the first time I have ever been called upon to prepare these wonderful confections. Don't worry, said Clarabel. The stronger they act, the better I shall act myself. She went away after saying this, but stopping in a dry goods store to shop, she forgot the precious box in her new interest and left it lying on the ribbon counter. Then little Bessie Bostwick came to the counter to buy her hair ribbon and laid her parcels beside the box. When she went away, she gathered up the box with her other bundles and trotted off home with it. Bessie never knew until she had hung her coat in the hall closet and counted up her parcels that she had too many. Then she opened it and exclaimed, "'Why, it's a box of candy. Someone must have mislaid it, but it's too small a matter to worry about. There's only a few pieces.' So she dumped the contents of the box into a bonbon dish that stood upon the hall table and picking out the chocolate piece, she was fond of chocolates, ate it daintily while she examined her purchases. These were not many, for Bessie was only 12 years old and was not yet trusted by her parents to expend much money at the stores. But while she tried on the hair ribbon, she suddenly felt a great desire to play upon the piano, and the desire at last became so overpowering that she went into the parlor and opened the instrument. The little girl had, with infinite pains, contrived to learn two pieces which she usually executed with a jerky movement of her right hand and a left hand that forgot to keep up and so made dreadful discords. But under the influence of the chocolate bonbon, she sat down and ran her fingers lightly over the keys, producing such exquisite harmony that she was filled with amazement at her own performance. That was the prelude, however, the next moment she dashed into Beethoven's seventh sonata and played it magnificently. Her mother, hearing the unusual burst of melody, came downstairs to see what musical guest had arrived, but when she discovered it was her own little daughter who was playing so divinely, she had an attack of palpitation of the heart, to which she was subject, and sat down upon a sofa until it should pass away. Meanwhile, Bessie played one piece after another with untiring energy. She loved music and now found that all she needed to do was sit at the piano and listen and watch her hands twinkle over the keyboard. Twilight deepened in the room, and Bessie's father came home and hung up his hat and overcoat and placed his umbrella in the rack. Then he peeped into the parlor to see who was playing. "'Great Caesar!' he exclaimed. But the mother came to him softly with her finger on her lips and whispered, "'Don't interrupt her, John. Our child seems to be in a trance. Did you ever hear such superb music?' "'Why, she's an infant prodigy,' gasped the astounded father. "'Beats blind Tom all hollow. It's—it's wonderful!' As they stood listening, the senator arrived, having been invited to dine with them that evening. And before he had taken off his coat, the Yale professor, a man of deep learning and scholarly attainments, joined the party. Bessie played on, and the four elders stood in a huddled but silent and amazed group, listening to the music and waiting for the sound of the dinner gong. Mr. Boswick, who was hungry, picked up the bonbon dish that lay on the table beside him "'and ate the pink confection. "'The professor was watching him, "'so Mr. Boswick courteously held the dish toward him. "'The professor ate the lemon-yellow piece, "'and the senator reached out his hand "'and took the lavender piece. "'He did not eat it, however, "'for, chancing to remember that it might spoil his dinner, "'he put it in his vest pocket. "'Mrs. Boswick, still intently listening "'to her precocious daughter, "'without thinking what she did,' took the remaining piece, which was the white one, and slowly devoured it. The dish was now empty, and Claribel Suds' precious bonbons had passed from her possession forever. Suddenly, Mr. Bostwick, who was a big man, began to sing in a shrill tremolo soprano voice. It was not the same song Bessie was playing, and the discord was so shocking that the professor smiled, the senator put his hands on his ears, and Mrs. Boswick cried in a horrified voice, William! Her husband continued to sing as if endeavoring to emulate the famous Christine Nilsson, and pay no attention, whatever, to his wife or guests. Fortunately, the dinner gong now sounded, and Mrs. Boswick dragged Bessie from the piano and ushered her guests into the dining room. Mr. Boswick followed singing The Last Rose of Summer, as if it had been an encore demanded by a thousand delighted hearers. The poor woman was in despair at witnessing her husband's undignified actions and wondered what she might do to control him. The professor seemed more grave than usual, The senator's face wore an offended expression, and Bessie kept moving her fingers as if she still wanted to play the piano. Mrs. Boswick managed to get them all seated, although her husband had broken into another aria, and then the maid brought in the soup. When she carried a plate to the professor, he cried in an excited voice, "'Hold it higher! Higher, I say!' and springing up he gave it a sudden kick that sent it nearly to the ceiling, from whence the dish descended to scatter soup over Bessie and the maid and to smash in pieces upon the crown of the professor's bald head. At this atrocious act, the senator rose from his seat with an exclamation of horror and glanced at his hostess. For some time Mrs. Boswick had been staring straight ahead with a dazed expression— But now, catching the senator's eye, she bowed gracefully and began reciting the charge of the Light Brigade in forceful tones. The senator shuddered, such disgraceful rioting he had never seen nor heard before in a decent private family. He felt that his reputation was at stake, and, being the only sane person apparently in the room, there was no one to whom he might appeal. The maid had run away to cry hysterically in the kitchen. Mr. Boswick was singing, Oh, Promise Me. The professor was trying to kick the globes off the chandelier. Mrs. Boswick had switched her recitation to The Boy Stood on the Burning Deck, and Bessie had stolen into the parlor and was pounding out the overture from Flying Dutchman. The senator was not at all sure he would not go crazy himself. Presently. So he slipped away from the turmoil and, catching up his hat and coat in the hall, hurried from the house. That night he sat up late writing a political speech that he was to deliver the next afternoon at Vranu Hall. But his experiences at the Bostwick's had so unnerved him that he could scarcely collect his thoughts, and often he would pause and shake his head pityingly as he remembered the strange things he had seen in that usually respectable home. The next day he met Mr. Boswick in the street, but passed him by with a stony glare of oblivion. He felt he really could not afford to know this gentleman in the future. Mr. Boswick was naturally indignant at the direct snub, yet in his mind lingered a faint memory of some quite unusual occurrences at his dinner party the evening before, and he hardly knew whether he dared resent the senator's treatment or not. The political meeting was the feature of the day for the Senators' eloquence was well known in Boston. So the big hall was crowded with people, and in one of the front rows sat the Bostwick family, with the learned Yale professor beside them. They all looked tired and pale, as if they had passed a rather dissipated evening, and the Senator was rendered so nervous by seeing them that he refused to look in their direction a second time. While the mayor was introducing him, the great man sat fidgeting in his chair, and happening to put his thumb and finger into his vest pocket, he found the lavender-colored bonbon he had placed there the evening before. This may clear my throat, thought the senator, and slipped the bonbon into his mouth. A few minutes afterwards, he arose before the vast audience, which greeted him with enthusiastic plaudits. "'My friends,' began the senator in a grave voice, "'This is a most impressive and important occasion.' Then he paused, balanced himself upon his left foot, and kicked his right leg into the air in the way favored by ballet dancers. There was a hum of amazement and horror from the spectators, but the senator appeared not to notice it. He whirled around upon the tips of his toes, kicked right and left in a graceful manner, and startled a bald-headed man in the front row by casting a languishing glance in his direction." Suddenly, Clarabel Suds, who happened to be present, uttered a scream and sprang to her feet, pointing an accusing figure at the dancing senator. She cried in a loud voice, That man stole my bonbons! Seize him! Arrest him! Don't let him escape! But the ushers rushed her out of the hall, thinking she had gone suddenly insane and the senator's friends seized him firmly and carried him out the stage entrance to the street where they put him in an open carriage and instructed the driver to take him home. The effect of the magic bonbon was still powerful enough to control the poor senator, who stood upon the rear seat of the carriage and danced energetically all the way home, to the delight of the crowd of small boys who followed the carriage, and to the grief of the sober-minded citizens who shook their heads sadly and whispered that another good man had gone wrong. It took the senator several months to recover from the shame and humiliation of the escapade and, curiously enough, he never had the slightest idea what had induced him to act in such an extraordinary manner. Perhaps it was fortunate that the last bonbon had now been eaten, for they might easily have caused considerably more trouble than they did. Of course, Claribel went again to the wise chemist and signed a check for another box of magic bonbons. But she must have taken better care of these, for she's now a famous vaudeville actress. Thank you for listening to The Magic Bonbons by L. Frank Baum. Baum is also the author of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. This story was published in his book titled American Fairy Tales. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. We'll bring you another story, tale, myth, or legend next week.